Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, it's interview time again, as author, philosopher, and father of our own Daniele, Franco Valelli, joins us for a wide-ranging conversation, including his problem with authority, his book topics ranging from music to love to obsession, Nietzsche, Michael Jordan, and a kitchen table full of strangers. Here we go. And now... Asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle figure of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows Podcast, begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 112 of the Drunken Dallas Podcast. Tonight, we have Daniele's own father, Franco Bellelli, joining us to talk about all kinds of awesome things. Uh, he's an author and a philosopher and has a lot of great comments about a plethora of uh, topics that we'll go over. First, we want to do a shout-out to our friends at alphadynamicshealth.com. These guys... I don't know if you guys have heard it. You've probably seen it on Facebook, but our own Savannah M., Daniele's beloved, and our pal of the show has been given a shot at being on the Ultimate Fighter show. So she's going to, they're doing women this season, and she's one of them. So we'll be rooting for her as that goes on. And these guys at Alpha Dynamics Health sponsors hers. So we would like to give a shout out to them and let you know they sell medicinal mushrooms, not the hallucinogenic fun kinds, but the kind that have been used for centuries in China for all sorts of things, tonics uh, to improve health and energy. And uh, they're going to offer a money-back guarantee. Their website's going to be up very shortly uh, as we get into June. So we definitely want to tell them thanks for helping out Savannah and uh, want you guys to know about them. So give a look at that. Um, of course, we got to thank our, our traditional trio, starting with Datsusera, Hemp Gear, Geese, all kinds of awesome backpacks and duffel bags. I am fresh back from a trip where we had four separate Datsusera pieces of gear that some flew through the air, some got the stuffed in the back of trunks, but they all made it to San Francisco and back. And uh, as always, hold up to the to the scrutiny of the TSA and uh, do a fine job of taking everything everywhere. But I've had some of these bags going for six, seven years now. So I cannot recommend you enough. Go check out DS Gear, Dr. Sarah, on it, on it. That would be the next one on it. From Alpha Brain to Buffalo Bars, Kettlebells to Battle Maces. Um, it's a giant website, and you owe it to yourself. O-N-N-I-T.com to go in and check it out. I mean, they've got T-shirts and cool stuff like that. They've got antibacterial soap that's good for people that are rolling on those crazy, nasty jujitsu mats. I mean, there's too many things to even mention, but you should take a little time, poke around in there, and see if you can find something that you'll like. I mean, uh, as always, Alpha Brain is one of the favorites. I always enjoy the superfoods that are available. Uh, mix them up, a little bit of a little bit of apple juice, and drink that down. And 
total nutrition top to bottom. Get all your vitamins taken care of so you can be a healthy person. And then, of course, we got to mention Sure Design T-shirts. From our own cool t-shirts that they've printed for us over the years to scores of great cool designs from Gandhi to Ganesh to you name it. You're going to have to have another one where you really owe yourself to just click around and find a couple things on there. They even have crazy harem pants if you feel like getting into the old MC Hammer mode or something. It's all really great stuff. Um, our pal Bennett, who has passed away, uh, started this company and they continue to hang with us over the years and we sure appreciate it. Now, real quick. Kiva.org. I've been talking about Kiva.org for four years now, and as of just a couple of days ago, we've we've crossed the $75,000 mark in donations from 190 of your fellow listeners. That's what makes up Team Drunken Dallas. Now, there are fourteen to 16,000 of you from what we hear every episode, and I would love you guys just to stop by and check it out. It's $25 that gets paid back to you in 4 to 8 to 12 to 16 months. Some are longer than others. But once you get the money back, you can just loan it again. I've got loans that have gone out for their sixth time. And because of that, this small amount of people can donate that kind of money. Not even donate. Just loan it out. But 75000 to the 190 of you that have been with us since the beginning, I cannot thank you enough. And it really, I mean, it just shows the power of the show. And that's an amazing thing. This is something where you only get a good feeling back. I mean, you're not losing money and you're helping folks, but these folks aren't receiving anything other than the fact that they know that they are helping other folks on this planet and in the U.S. You can give loans in the U.S. now as well to have, you know, some hope to help them give things that they need and not get robbed by some damn loan shark out there. So it's a great, great charity. I invite all of you to come and join us and, Please, let's get that let's get it to 250 members out there joined up with us. 25 bucks get you started. Kiva.org, Team Drunken Dallas. If you have any questions, just give me a shout. I will happily help you out. And um that's it. So anyway, this is a, a pretty lengthy interview, but it's a fun one. Franco was really <laughs> he's just a funny cat. You know, he's got oh well, you're gonna hear it. The dueling Italian accents. But anybody who's been listening to the show for a while will be completely ready to handle that. So here we go. So here with us today, the only person who will be on this podcast who's going to have a worse Italian accent than I am. Wow. Actually, that's not true. My mom was on and her accent sucks. She's like more, even more phobish than I am. I like the accent. Yeah. It adds to the flavor of the whole thing. So. Yeah. So, okay. For because the next... she's a woman, otherwise you didn't like her. <laughs> <laughs> For the next hour and a half, you guys are not going to understand anything we're going to say, but it's going to sound very melodic and good. So you guys can, you know, contemplate the mysteries of the universe, look at the sky, uh, fall asleep with us as a lullaby, whatever. We are just going to do our thing. Uh, because with us today, uh, good old Franco Bolelli, in case you're wondering, no, he does not have my same last name 
by coincidence, he happens to be my father. Ah. So, welcome to the Drunken Taoist. Hello. We are, um, so let's go play. Um, what shall we play with? Well, one thing, actually, is a theme that I wanted to touch on anyway for when our own episodes, but since he's here, we might as well bring it up here. One thing that, one of the reasons why I think I feel I adapted easily to the whole podcast format is because I feel that growing up, our kitchen table was basically podcast. Uh, what is it? It's not even 1.0 it's because there was no podcast. There was no microphone. There was no recording. But the dynamics of having these conversations with random people from all walks of life about really, you know, you start from a specific issue, but and ultimately end up talking about life. That was kind of a daily occurrence that was always uh, from uh, people involved in all kinds of creative endeavors, directors, uh, musicians, whatever the hell you want, to just random people who had good ideas who would swim by. And actually, now that comes to mind, why were they at our house? There why you, were all the these question. people uh, talking to a. You ask me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember anything at all. We were just entertaining random people. Yeah. <laughs> More or less. Probably. Well, no, it's because was... I didn't have uh, a specific. Uh, field of experience of knowledge right i try being as such a strange kind of philosopher uh, to touch every possible situation from uh, philosophy technology history sport the girls uh, uh, everything at the same time so i knew a lot of different people from many different situations Right, because you would, you were like everything you did was not tied to one field; it was tied to everything and the opposite. So mm-hmm. there were, I yeah, would yeah. never be able to stay in just one field of knowledge or experience. Why? Because my mind is not like that. I'm very lucky to find myself right now in a global, connected world, because in the old world, when I was younger very specific uh-huh. i was a fish out of the water definitely because everybody's you know the engineers only talk about yeah. engineering stuff the for me it's only about uh touching different things and try to mix them and putting them together and connect everything with everything why do you think that is because that's clearly a different way or, or more than why do you think it is because that's just how you are who the hell knows why but why what do you think are the um, advantages disadvantages on this because on one end you know clearly there's specialized knowledge as its place right you want uh, you want your heart surgeon to have done a lot of heart surgery i don't care they are a good poet i want you to be able that surgery in your sleep you know it's like i want you to be a specialist but at the same time there are obviously limits to specialization and uh, you seem to instead have more of that approach to knowledge that about taking at least a, whatever little knowledge that you can have in 15 different fields, because, of course, it's not going to be quite to the same degree as the guy we spent 24-7 all in that field, but to be able to mix it together with other things to... For what? What's the... How's that... Because, again, the traditional model is you understand the strengths. It's obvious the strength is you want to know your field in and out from A to Z, back and forth. 
What's the strength of this approach to knowledge instead of mixing and combining things? And But for me, it was natural. It's not a philosophical attitude. It's not a culture. Right. It's about uh, the way I was uh, already when I was a kid. Uh -huh. I remember that I read uh, when I was 16, 17, something like that, uh, a quote of Nietzsche. And maybe I didn't understand anything of Nietzsche at that point. Right. But that thing, boom, saved my life. When Nietzsche said, I don't remember exactly the sure. quote, especially in English, uh, I can trust uh, only the talks uh, that are a joy also for the muscles. Uh -huh. And for, for me, it was uh, my life. Yeah. Because from a certain point of view, I was attracted to books and writing. On the other side, I was attracted to sport, adrenaline, uh, uh, everything connected with the body. Right. And in that moment, those two things uh, were really separate from each other. Right. For me, it was natural to put them together. Right. Because for me, it was the same thing. For me, writing was an, uh, a physical experience uh, at that point. And at the same time, playing five, four games every week in every possible sport with the ball in the middle... Uh, was at the same time uh, not only physical, not only uh, some adrenaline experience, but also very mental, very... Sure. The way, that's the way I want to be in all my whole life. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, interconnectedness is because it came natural. It was just... No, that makes sense to me, of course, because I grew up around <laughs> it. And you it's grew kind up of like... like exactly. And again, it's different too, because I, for my case... I grew up around it. I had a model of that. So I definitely got, it was a natural push in that direction. One that I adapted to very well because it made sense to me, click with me. But it's always hard to tell because I was basically just going along with what already was in the house. For you, it was a little weirder because you started this. It's not that your parents were like this. No, And uh, so for you, for me, it's more not like there's a clear path for me. It's pretty obvious is, okay, you grow up in that environment. Oh, look at that. You turn out exactly that way. Well, it's, there's a logical follow up there. In your case, not so much because you kind of just decided this is how I'm going to live despite the fact that really nobody was doing that around you. I remember that uh, many years ago, you told me that, uh, Maybe I came from uh, an alien spore from outer world. <laughs> yes, uh, <because> right. <laughs> I, and I think it's true. Right. <laughs> because I don't remember anything at all about when I was a kid uh, until I was 14, 15. Right. Really, I don't remember anything. Now I live uh, very close to my elementary school uh, in Milan, uh, and I don't remember the school at all. Wow. It's just because someone told me that uh, that was my school. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't remember anything at all about the past. So maybe I really I came from outer space. I don't want to say it's aliens, <laughs> but it's aliens. <laughs> yes. That'll explain the tentacles. Right, exactly. That, uh, that would make a lot of sense, right? <laughs> Now, were there any sort of, sort of uh, epic visitors, like incredible people that were there? Or was it just kind of common folks that want to come discuss their various fields? Who would come by to visit? Oh, Very different kind of people. Somewhere, uh, people uh, in touch with me for the things I wrote on books or magazines or something like that. Some, uh, the people uh, with whom I play uh, the basketball or soccer almost every week, also when uh, Daniela was a kid. One of the most wonderful things of my life uh, was uh, when Daniela was seven, 
I was 30, so I was very young. Uh, and one day looking at the TV, sorry, the sorry. told me... <laughs> Keep that in mind, I have to interrupt. I yeah. do remember the exact day of his 30th birthday, because I remember we were in the subway and I was making fun of him to death, going like telling everybody, he turned 30, he's an old man, <laughs> he's so old, I can't believe he turned 30. So yes, that was funny, but sorry. Okay, go ahead. Wait. No, I remember that when you were seven, in front of the TV, you say, oh, I want to play that game. And that, play was, and that game was basketball. Okay. So from that moment, I think that for at least seven, 10 years... Uh, at least uh, 300 days every year, uh, we went to play basketball together mm -hmm. on the playground. Right. Uh, so it was something for me absolutely important in that moment. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And your three-point dance was always good. As, uh, Definitely. Uh, One of the best shooters of Western civilization. Hey! <laughs> Man, it's funny though. He hated my guts because uh, they were okay. I was slightly competitive in my playing basketball. I just told the Savannah some stories of me playing, and she was looking at me like, you suck. You're a horrible human being. And it's like, hey, it's not my fault. It's, there's a winner and there's a loser, man. There's like, I want to win this game. Otherwise, we're... So no, as a kid, when you were uh, 8, 9, 10, 12, you yeah. were... He was a terrific basketball player. Yeah, but I was also, I think but you everybody hated me <laughs> because my enemies, of course, I, 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 by the way, catch the sleep of thought, not my opponents, my enemies, you know, they are like, they are trying to prevent me from getting my deserved win. So they are my enemies. But, uh, but even my teammates, because I would demand a lot of everybody. So it's kind of like, what? You're not running back on defense, motherfucker? Go back and run. Give everything you got. Uh, die for that ball you know it's like, and in this one occasion i remember we were playing uh, a tense game uh, point by point going back and forth and at one point he just dove to grab a loose ball just at the edge right he goes like on one foot on the line at the edge catching it outside standing there and i walk right behind him and touch him with one finger where you can't really call it a foul because you're a wimp if you call that a foul but i just went and just pushed him outside oh, really? exactly <laughs> it was glorious he I went just, mad <laughs> he did not talk to me for a while now when you got into your teenage years did that relationship remain consistent or did it get a bit more rocky as he became more headstrong obviously he was headstrong from a very early stage yeah but... no we had always had that terrific relationship the only if I remember the only situation where we had uh, some something to argue was on a basketball court. Yeah, I well, think that everybody would argue with me because <laughs> nobody <laughs> liked me again. It's and I understand. I don't even like myself. It just that's what I had to do to uh, the horrible things I did on basketball. No, court, but also or... because uh, uh, I was twenty-three when you were born, and yeah. in that moment uh, you saved my life. Not because my life was bad, not at all. But in that moment, I understood that you were you was the only important thing in life for me. Mm -hmm. uh, so, in order to stay with you 24 hours every day, mm -hmm. I have to find a job. <laughs> not a regular <laughs> right, job, some, something to be paid. Yeah. And uh, writing was the only chance for me. So I begin to write. A real high-paying job, right? <laughs> <laughs> Money was flowing like you wouldn't believe it. Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> but that's interesting what you say because I felt the same way. Like the, 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 I guess the moment you see that baby pop out, 
it's almost like switches get flipped in your brain and the whole idea of me doesn't even exist anymore. All the focus switches to the base. Now, I'm not sure everybody has that. I think I, I there's a good percentage you. of folks that don't even get it and just move on with their regular day and nope. oh, we'll just stick them in daycare and just keep on our regular. The experience of watching those little ones turn into what they are is the greatest gift that you get on this crazy pain in the ass ride, I think. Because there's nothing else like it. For me, it was very easy because I think because I was 23, so my life was not structured in any way. Yeah, uh, I have just uh, to create everything day by day. So I didn't need uh, to free myself from something else uh, in order to take care of him. So I took care of him because it was natural. That's all. Yeah, and uh, and writing was the only thing that I could do. Uh, taking care of him every day. So I began to write books uh, because of him. <laughs> <laughs> My contribution to Western civilization. Exactly. Yes. Someone had to do it. <laughs> well, on that So note, when Isabella uh, told you a couple of years ago, when you very proud, you told her, oh, you know, Isabella, I wrote already four books. Yeah. And Isabella told you, just four books, do you think you are a real man? Yeah. <laughs> so... We have to remember Isabella that you remind Isabella. Yeah. To remind Isabella that uh, you were very important also for my books. Right. So not that's only uh, your four books, yeah. but a big. Uh, mm. Yeah, that's funny, man. That's yeah, my four books. Wow, you call yourself a man? <laughs> Had you been writing before that, or did you have any sort of notion of wanting to do that, or was that the before launch? the Daniele? Yeah. I wrote uh, when I was in high school or something like that. Uh, right. So well, I like was very good at writing, but uh, I never article wrote... Article uh, right. I never wrote uh, before books or article or something like that. Became my work uh, just in that moment because I need uh, some money to, to live with him. That too, speaking of money, it's kind of funny because one <laughs> thing... I think I even mentioned it on the podcast before, but one thing that always cracked me up was... Um, uh, more than once, multiple times, people would, among the many people who would show up at the house, chat, blah, blah, blah. There were occasionally people who would have this, ah, oh, you have such a good life, you are so lucky. And these were, and he would feel bad, kind of like, oh, let me see how I can help you. And then you would stop to look, and these were the same people that when you look at it, their bank account would be like 25 times hours. And it's like, Wait, how is it lucky again? Because it's like, that's a choice. You know, there are prices to pay that you are not willing to pay. He's paying the price of the fact that there's not really much money. Uh, he's paying the, he trades it with time. You know, that's, well, that's the, not a terrible trade at all. No, exactly. But it's, but you need, but something got to give, right? Then you're not going to leave. Like, for example, now he lives in a considerably nicer part of Milan where when I go back, he's awesome, right? When I see Milan now, I'm like, oh, Milan is a beautiful city. When I was growing up, I thought Milan sucked beyond imagination. Partially is because perceptions change and everything else. Partially because we live in a part of town that was not the prettiest thing in the world. Yeah, but it know? sounded like you had uh, Hemingway's movable feast going on. With no, exactly. <laughs> so there were eccentric, exactly. awesome people. But that's what I mean. Day. It's There are trade-offs, yeah. right? And so when somebody goes lucky, no, there is no luck in this. It's a choice that you 
the price you have to pay to get this is one that you don't want to pay, which is fine. I'm not saying you should pay it. Maybe it's not a good idea for you. Don't whine about it, though. Then no. it's not luck. You know, it's, the, it's how it is. No, it's sort of, it's, it's almost like, you know, there's a scale. Yeah. And if you want all that money, well, you're going to sell your soul and become some evil hedge fund manager who only gives a shit about squeezing people and taking all the money. Well, then that's what you get. But at the end of the trip, what do you got? Right, and I mean, and um, even let's say you played. Oh, sorry. You're no, uh, I understood that uh, in order to have a regular job, you have a, you need a lot of time, and I didn't have time because I have to spend my time with him. Right. So it was uh, a natural condition for me in that moment. Yeah. Remains that I'm not able to tell to Isabella something. Uh, smart uh, when she asked me no 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 is the italian word for granddad uh why you're so famous but not so rich (laughs) 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 that is a very good question yes why is that there's uh yeah because i mean your relationship with money partially because of your choices partially also karma is like anytime there's money somehow if you go near it it will run away real fast of course it will the second you got nine extra dollars the uh, brakes go on your car that's just the way it works yeah i definitely have the luckiest life in uh, in the world about other things right about other things uh, but gosh money is totally out of the yeah, whatever something could work is like you can count no, when it comes to in other no. ways, yes. When it comes to money, no. But that's again, it's ah, okay. trade-offs, right? And early on you decided you pay your bills, uh, you live, you're okay. You know, you're not uh, I come in Los Angeles three, four times every week. Well that now I doubt that no, could have happened all... back in the day. Every week, by the way, you come three, four <laughs> times. <laughs> right. I would like to yeah. come here three, four times every week. Yeah. What was the first book? That My first book was about music. Because, oh, uh, yeah, because yeah, when I was really tiny, you were, your primary thing started out being... Yeah. Um, I wrote about music at the beginning. Did you play something as well? And did you have an instrument? Oh, 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 oh. No, but I had... Uh, uh, <laughs> You're going to <laughs> I had a, a live concert uh, in one of the most beautiful places in Milan, at the Castello was my only concert and it uh, was very funny yeah it was very funny because of what he was playing you know there was some dude on the saxophone some guy with his guitar some guy i don't know what else there were like three four instruments and then there was him in front of a mixer using this was a toy of mine was a star wars gun that made all these weird sounds depending on the frequency you turn it on so you he would turn on this thing and mix it in weird ways and it came out like very hendrix like but yes he was playing a star wars gun toy We are trying to play like the electric Miles Davis. 
Mission not accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's where it's sad that there weren't cameras everywhere back then. I that know. would be something to see. but That would be glorious. I, I think this is the studio version, which is not quite as cool as the live <laughs> version, but it was glorious. Yes. So what, what aspect of music just uh, incredible? Because I personally think music is the only repeatable magic. It's something where if it's a song, it can stick with you forever. And if it pops off hearing it in the distance, it will take you back to places... Almost as much as a, a good scent or a smell will. Mm-hmm. Those two things really connect memories. And uh, is that sort of what you were going after about music, or was it just the entire... No. Because I think music will save the world. I think when the, the chips are down... I the, grew up with Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin, so it's obvious that music was uh, oh, yeah. a, a very important part of my life. Then... Uh, uh, the electric Miles Davis, uh, then something more avant-garde like uh, Steve Reich or Brian Eno. Uh, now, from many years, I have a definitely obsession for Radiohead. Uh. The only thing I listen to. Whatever. Uh, but when I wrote, uh, I was writing about music, uh, but uh, music was just... Uh, uh, Apart, because I wanted to write about something larger. I write about music in order to write about life, about in order to write about choices, in order to write about what was happening and changing in the whole world. So I use music as a finger pointing to something larger than that. Well, and those those you know sixty eight sort of Hendrix that that was a big moment. I mean, things were shifting so radically. The the, the Beatles had come along, broken everything open. And then off it went. So what a great time to be writing about music. And what a great time to be hearing that stuff live. I can't even imagine. I saw Jimi Hendrix live. So, uh, no, you saw Jimi Hendrix live in a room with like 300 people or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. was in oh a, gosh. Uh, what year was I it? I saw the Rolling Stones live in Milan, uh, 67 if I remember. And I remember that I found the tickets one hour before the concert. Totally unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> nice. But uh, uh, even Hendrix, what was it? 68, 68, 67. Hendrix 68. was 68 in Milan. Yes. So right before he became huge, right at that edge yeah. when he was kind of getting big, not quite yet. It was probably a matter of weeks, really, because it's like yeah. right there is when he exploded on a whole level. So yeah. music was Can you very imagine? important for me. Uh, but I. In every situation, music, sport, uh, philosophy, everything else I wrote about, uh, for me, everything was just a finger pointing to a whole whole life. Right. Because writing about life, writing about, uh, was really the only, and still is the only important thing for me. It's about our attitude towards life. It's it's about the way we think, uh, our choices, and... uh, and my new books, uh, the last books, uh, one is about love uh, and one is about uh, women and men. So from a philosophical point of view, but also from a point of view of daily choices. And uh, so I try to put together, as we said at the beginning, very different kind of uh, things. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny when you think about it, the, the, the fact that... I always use this because it's just so funny. But the fact that for how many years have you been teaching in a master in fashion and design program? 
<laughs> and uh, not having finished college and not exactly being a, an icon in fashion and design in the <laughs> sense that that's not exactly your field. How, how in the world does somebody who has not finished college and with But those not... now, I'm teaching at the Polytechnic in Milan uh, in design department. Uh, and uh, really, uh, I don't remember uh, what I'm teaching. Uh, because I'm going there, I'm talking about what I think is necessary if, if you want to become uh, uh, an architect, a designer, a projectist, but from a global point of view. Of course, because I don't know anything at all about uh, design or something like that. I know the people, but uh, I, I don't have uh, the, the skills uh, to teach those things. But I can talk about the attitude you can have uh, being a someone who makes projects and build the things uh, in the today world. So you're more of a guide to the creative so that they can yeah. continue on forward. Because the skills are all different no matter what you are. Music, sure. fashion, still tapping into something. The muse, however it affects you and gets you into the spirit of actually executing something is an important piece of advice, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. But also something more uh, wild, uh, sports. Uh, and uh, fighting and uh, everything uh, about adrenaline because I think that is a very important uh, part uh, not only of our daily experience but also if you are want to create something. Daniele, you did a lot of uh, podcasts about Cavavaggio. Uh, Cavavaggio's attitude was uh, a daily life attitude. Yeah. You took away from Cavavaggio the the disturbing part, uh, and uh, you destroy this work. So it's something absolutely connected, in my opinion. Yeah, and in that sense, you know, the people who are the specialists in one field, often they start missing the more global vision because they are so stuck in the details of that field. Can't communicate with regular people. Anymore. Exactly. That sometimes you need a reminder of, okay, the stuff that's important about this field, how do we connect it to life, to a wider world, to other fields? And other enough, even the specialists sometimes can step out, hear that talk, and suddenly see possibilities in their work that they would not see otherwise. So that's... Um, that's an excellent justification for being a great bullshitter. That's very good. <laughs> no, I mean, Speaking of great bullshit, can we step back a little bit? I want to know a little bit more about the book about love. What did you come across with? Because <laughs> I think one of my favorite quotes, I don't know who it's attributed to, but for, for me to fall in love with a woman, she has but to say hello. <laughs> it's sort of from the man's point of view. Right. You know, if you're going to give me the tiniest bit of attention, this will probably work out well. That's a good <laughs> And then we're at a crazy point right now where there's a whole... I don't even want to know what to call these guys, but they're like, women are just here to take all your money and make you miserable, no, and the second they find somebody better, they're going to be gone. And for those fellas, first of all, you're pathetic and sad, but I feel sorry for you more than anything because you do have to risk something, and you do have to have some sort of vulnerability that can completely get crushed if you're ever going to reach that level. Sure. And... um I feel I've bumped into mine, luckily, and it's been an incredible thing, but it's just luck, right? Or is it just pheromones? <laughs> I just like the way she smells and it works that way. What did you discover? Uh, I wrote the book about love. Uh, it's called All the Truth About Love. Oh. <laughs> so it's the first one we Something very minimal, you yeah. understand? <laughs> uh, with my wonderful wife. Uh, because I think that uh, writing about love from two different points of view was uh, 
the best thing to do. And uh, we talk about love in a very, from very different point of view, but especially uh, remembering that uh, uh, love uh, is, uh, I need the word, uh, Daniele. What's the word? Uh, impresa. Um, uh, I guess it's like a kind of like a quest. Uh, it's like a, a quest. Of, uh, an adventure like, 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 like you have to dare oh, something. It's the grandest of adventure without question. Mm-hmm. You need uh, something, it's your uh, Graal, it's your uh, conqueror of the fire from the gods. Uh, is your uh, is something epic it's not just uh, little flowers and little hearts uh, no. or the other side especially in italy especially in europe uh, a lot of books about love uh, they say that uh, uh, you don't have uh, you romanticism it's totally wrong because uh, Love uh, is something so depressing, something so you have to accept uh, that at the end everything will go bad, will go badly. Uh, you have uh, to understand uh, that uh, you are lonely by yourself uh, also when you're married with someone. And a lot of uh, books about uh, say that thing. Zoe wanted to write something totally different from this. Not optimistic, because there is no reason to be optimistic. If you look at the statistics, uh, 70, 80% of the relationship, okay, they break down. Uh, but because it's a quest, because it's something that you need to build every day, because it, uh, especially for me it was difficult uh, because from in, coming from uh, an epic point of view, for me, quest uh, was exactly the Graal, uh, uh, Prometheus who stole the fire from the gods uh, or Michael Jordan uh, Nausea game uh, or this kind of things but with my wife I discovered that uh, uh, the quest is uh, made also by 100 different things every day it's about little action it's about the choices that you do every day it's about uh, kissing each other three, four thousand times every day. Uh, that's a quest. Zoe wrote a book about uh, this kind of attitude towards love. Because you mean the accept the misery of it all is not a great uh, <laughs> way to approach it? Strange. <laughs> but that is so, you know, it's the romantic sees the flower for what it is, and the realist sees that it's going to be rotten in a week. Right. You have a choice <laughs> yeah. to which you're going to. So you might as well enjoy the nice parts, I think. Totally. Because the bad stuff's coming. Yeah, that's for sure. When when they say the passion uh, will finish in a few weeks or years or something like that, it's not true. No, I don't think so. You have to work on it, uh, and then maybe you can understand that that, uh, uh, the passion can grow up uh, year by year. And that's something very important. But you have to work. It's obviously, it's obvious that you have to to treat it like a quest. You have to work. How do you work? Work every day, Daniele. Work because you think that you have always to work on becoming a little better every day. 
to try to become things and becoming better every day. Yeah, but that sounds like you're doing homework or something. That does not seem no, like the kind of thing it's that would No, it's something very funny, very full of uh, funny things. It's not just... Uh, but at the same time, and you need to think that it's work. Hmm. Work is not something, uh, oh gosh, I have to work. Uh, especially for me, with the kind of words uh, that I always did, uh, work is funny. Work is a very important part of my life. So I have uh, a joyous attitude to work when I talk about work. Well, but even then, to me, it's interesting because thinking back instead of what you were saying about raising kids and that kind of stuff, right, is like obviously playing with kids, raising kids, not for an hour, but when it's, you put a lot of time and attention, there is an element where obviously it's work. But in your case, it didn't seem like much in the sense that you seem to, the enjoyment part seem uh, superior to the getting tired part, to the, oh, I actually feel like not talking about Barbies for a moment, I want to do something else, or, you know. Whereas one of the things I've always noticed, like with Isabella, for example, like I'll have a blast. I love being around her. She's great. But A, I don't have that kind of stamina. B, sometimes I don't feel like it. Sometimes it feels like work. Sometimes it feels like I really don't want to be doing this. I actually don't even want to talk right now. Can we just stay quiet for three hours, you know? And that's not really A, how it works with a kid. But B is definitely not the way you approach it and I don't know how I mean it's just an innate thing what the hell is it why is it that you would be able to do that for 12 hours a day 7 days a week and um, what's going on what do you think is I think that your attitude is absolutely natural uh, at the same time uh, what I can tell you I, really I don't know I see right now that um, I'm not exactly young uh, with Isabella, I, I could play 24 hours every day because I have a lot of fun. I know. I don't know why. I have a lot of fun playing with her. Well, it's the joy of the grandparent. You can come by, have a visit, play all you want to, and when you get bored, you're out of there. Yeah, but you know, even in... Okay, let's say you even stay 10 days, 2 weeks, yeah. whatever, right? Even then, it's still... After 6 hours... I like to do something else, yeah. you know. I want to have a break here. I want to... He kind of doesn't. He'll keep going the whole day. Daniela, and the start difference over the is next that uh, when you stay with Isabella every day of every week of every year, uh, you have to work, you have to but do But it's not just things, that. So. It's like anything. If you make me do that for 10 hours, I'll get bored, you know. It's like, I don't want to be at that one thing for 10 hours. I want to... Um, uh, if I have to read and research for History on Fire, after three minutes, I'm looking for every possible excuse to switch to something else. If I'm doing something else, I'll switch. You know, it's like staying with one thing for me is work. And again, it's not work that I'll do it, you know, but it is a result of sort of there's an element of beating myself down and say, stay with it. It's not like... This is so fun. I'm going to keep at it nonstop for 10 hours. I'll, I'll have fun for half an hour. I'll have fun for an hour. On a good day, I'll have fun for three hours. Uh, you know. But I am just like you. Not with the kids. Not with you and not with Isabella. Huh. That's the only difference. Otherwise, I totally agree with yeah. you. I don't know. That's a strange mystery. I don't know how or why. I mean, great. You know, it's all good. I just don't really understand how that works. 
but it's a mystery. It is. <laughs> All right, mystery number one. The grandparent to grandchild relationship is definitely a different one than parent. And I think we'll just have to check back in in 30 years True, and see what's up. But, but he was doing that with me. I had the same relationship with him. <laughs> so so well, that's, that's where I'm like... That's just a gift then. Yeah, there's some strange... Yeah, that gave me some serious complex. I was like, do I hate my child? What's going no. on? It's like, I'm not, I can't quite pull off what you would pull off. No, it just seems that Franco's just a bit extraordinary in that circumstance. Yeah. It's funny, I was asking you guys earlier about how your relationship went because my father died when I was 29. And I feel like we were just starting to become friends as men. You know, the whole right. childhood thing was over. And we definitely had our, you know, disagreements through the late teen years. But it was getting better and better and better. And just as it was starting to open up, he was gone. That sucks. So I am envious of your relationship to each other. And so yeah. I'm going to live vicariously through you guys. Because <laughs> it's so great right. to see that you get along so well. Right. And we were at that point. It was really just getting started. To click. Yeah. In fact, timing is... Because that's the thing. Is like, take the person that you're going to get the most along ever in life. You're not going to get along 24-7 every year of your life. That's no, just not going to happen. that's work too. Yeah. I mean, I don't get along with myself 24-7 every day of my life. You know, it's like they're just... It's, so there are phases, there are moments, there are ups and downs for sure in everything. You know, there's no, no doubt about that. No, without question, the person that's caused me more trouble than anybody is me. Right. <laughs> Definitely. It's the way it works. One thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was just um, Milan in, in in the in the early '60s had to be incredible. Was it? Was it? What was it like growing up? Was it a fashion there? capital back then as well, or was that just sort of coming into its own, or like the '60s and the I 70s? I always love Milan, but I think that the best moment of Milan is right now. Oh, excellent! Definitely, something happened in the last three, four, five years, and uh, Milan totally changed. Until uh, a few years ago, everyone living in Milan was, oh, Milan, it's a wonderful place for work, but otherwise it's a nightmare. So I want to go away from for the weekend. Uh, Milan, it's impossible for living. Now everyone is happy in Milan. I don't know what happened. Hmm. Uh, Suddenly, the perception of the city totally changed. Growing up in Milan in the 60s was... Uh, very nice, uh, but for me it was very easy because uh, I always uh, felt good in, uh, in Milan. So, what about Italy in general? What's um, to have Rome there and have like the, the the giant, you know, last great civilization? Is there any sort of um, I don't know echoes of this history that still exists there or? I think so, but Milan is totally different. No, I understand. I just, just on, on a grander scale. You know, on the history thing, it's funny because he always, I wouldn't say hated, but never cared a bit about history. Like to him, the past is like, eh, who cares? Okay. You know, that's like, let's move on to the next thing. He's like, eyes, which is funny considering that I've always endlessly fascinated with history and ended up teaching. He, he was like, that was really not his thing, right? That was just like, eh not particularly intrigued with anything that ever happened in the past. Like, only just the bare minimum to think about now, future, that kind of thing. So uh, that that's pretty funny. Cause that, in fact, it's interesting because in some ways you can see how environment shapes you. 
you know, where clearly certain things are product of the environment and then other stuff is not. It really isn't. Like I was into, I mean, when you think about history, I started reading the first books I ever read were all about uh, kind of the children version of ancient Egypt, ancient Rome, and I was endlessly fascinated with it. I would just spend days and days picturing this stuff, imagining, living. And that's clearly not, you know, wasn't really... Uh, wasn't really definitely part of the environment in terms of, I mean, what the environment was, you know, the children book was available about it, but it was not something that, for example, he would push or even care about. It's kind of like, oh, that's great that you're reading that. But, but it's great that he didn't have to push. I mean, I was the same way. It's like, I remember like one of my favorite early books, and it was a child book, too, was Search for the, for the Living Fossil. It's about yeah. this fish called a coelacanth that they were sure was gone for 50,000 years. And stuff like that would endlessly fascinate me. It's funny, there's a Time Life book of the universe that I think was printed in 1968. Mm -hmm. Easily 70% of the thing is wrong now. Definitely. But it was just that fascination, those first pictures. You know, they didn't even have a picture of Mars or Jupiter or anything back there. It was all drawings and and stuff Mm -hmm. from telescopes. And to flash forward now, where we've got ships sending pictures from (laughs) a thousand feet above the, uh, a thousand miles above the cloud layers, (laughs) is incredible. So. You've seen a lot over your years. We're at this kind of crazy precipice right now where, on one side, technology does these amazing things, but it also seems... I'm not a big fan of the phones and seems things like that. They seem to be separating us at the same time. What are your feelings about the way technology is affecting us and how it almost affects us so fast that we don't even have time to comprehend what's happening to us? I found it fascinating because uh, evolution... It's always like this. In order to conquer something, uh, you have to accept to lose something. Evolution right now is the first time in human history that evolution is not slow but is running. We are not, uh, we are in the middle of evolution and we are the first group of humans uh, living in the middle of a running evolution. I found this thing absolutely wonderful. Of course, you you need to pay some price. Oh, yeah. Um, Everything is changing. Our mind is changing. We have a very vertical mind, and now we have a very horizontal mind. We we connect everything with everything. Uh, The technologies, uh, until 10 years ago, didn't exist something like Facebook that today is one uh, uh, billion and uh, eight... Uh, a ton of people. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Something like that never happened before in human history. Well, something, something that goes from zero to two billions of people in it, a few years. Yeah. Totally changes. And that sort of connectivity, is it actually that great of a thing I mean I think there was something great about when high school was over you didn't see you didn't have to see any of those motherfuckers ever again and now all these old relationships start rehooking up and it's sort of a crazy and I heard the, the scariest thing I think I've heard recently is the next level of great avant-garde art may be done in DNA I think so at the same time I think that we have uh, very big side effects and uh, most of them are not uh, wonderful. No. Uh, it's part of evolution. I think that we have to accept uh, that uh, we have to pay some price for, uh, for the things we have. It's uh, a daily balance that we have to find between one thing and the opposite. 
we have to search for a balance, uh, a very dynamic balance that can change uh, every minute of your life. You go in a direction and then suddenly you have to go a little bit in the other direction. And then again, it's not easy at all, but it's part of life. Indeed. One thing that I'm curious about is like you back in uh, 70s, maybe early 80s, definitely 70s, uh, you are considerably more interested, involved in politics than you have been for the last multiple <laughs> decades. Um, do you attribute it to the silliness of youth or yeah, pretty definitely. much? Um, um, also, in that moment, for me, politics was something uh, not close to me, not really close to me. I always thought that at the end, uh, what really matters uh, is your choices, not only your private life of every day, but the, the things that you can do right uh, with other people, sharing with other people. I think that that's the real politics. Is the politics of everyday life. Um, at the same time, it's true. 40 years ago, uh, I was m much more involved uh, in politics. Uh, silliness. Right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> involved in politics, that's a, <laughs> an interesting way of framing it. <coughs> as, uh, I, I think I mentioned it to you, Rich, once. as like, I was always puzzled why he owned a motorcycle helmet without driving a motorcycle. <laughs> I was always like, what's that about? It's like, ah, politics, you know. I'm like, exactly what I was a bad guy mean? in some moment <laughs> of my life. Okay. So that was always pretty funny. The... So was it your mother that carried bombs? No, it was glorious. Oh. Um, yeah. No, uh, he's father was um, being recruited into Italian army, switched side, his whole thing that went to the pro-American anti-fascist thing. And uh, so he had some pretty crazy story, but they were more battlefield story, like in the army, whereas, uh, you know, on my man's side, it was more street stuff, just in an informal way. So it really ripped the country apart, though. Yeah, I mean, of course. And yeah, and he was born right after that because, you know, he's born like five years after the end of yeah. World War II. So it's after that. Uh... Did those wounds heal slowly? I'm sure people were, I mean, it's sort of brother against brother when one side's on one side. Yeah. Did that maintain for a while or did it come back together pretty easily? I think that when I grow up... Uh... Uh, war of this kind of things were very far away. Um, well, I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember anything about no, no personally. Right, right. But people, uh, they talk a lot about the future, about the, the here and now in that moment. Yeah. So there's so, no capacity to hold grudges because well, it was just going to make it even worse. I don't think so. I mean, if I may disagree, not having been there, <laughs> but uh, when you look at it, like when you look at the viciousness of kind of left-wing versus right-wing oh. politics in Italy in the 60s and 70s in particular, even into the 80s, but definitely 60s and 70s, I don't think that's separated from the whole World War II discussion. I think it's, there's a direct link there between the two. 
where you know the same dynamics that have created fascism and all the resistance against fascism were also still at play later with all the I mean people were pretty damn heavy in terms of their politics and how they felt and how they hated everybody it's like it's a pretty hardcore thing it's not just about politics uh, I would be happy if it was uh, just about politics mm-hmm. uh, it's about uh, the way of thinking it's uh, this or that yeah. this uh, against uh, uh, the enemy of my enemy is my Sharp. friend uh, it's that kind of attitude that I find uh, also today I don't want to talk about American politics, yeah. uh, but uh, uh, I think that, uh, of course, I don't like Trump, but the anti-Trump, uh, I don't think is so much better than him. Not uh, in a moral, from an ethic point of view, but because the only important thing that is, is that you have to try to build something, to create something, to do, to find some solution, not only telling... Uh, the opposite thing of these guys or yelling because they are bad. Okay, they are bad, but why we are better? We are better only from a, a moral point of view. No way. We are better if we are able to create some solution in daily life. And I think that's a hell of a good benchmark all the time is because criticizing shit is easy. Oh, Look, yeah. it's shit. It's pretty obvious. And don't get me wrong, you should call it shit. Okay. You sh- we shouldn't pretend it's flesh- fresh flowers, but, you know, it doesn't require a genius to point out that shit is shit. What's interesting is figuring out, and, you know, you saying, uh, I'm not shit, that doesn't make you great. That doesn't just doesn't make you shit, which is a good start, but that does not necessarily make you amazing or anything. That emphasis, switching the emphasis to what can you what world can you create that's better? What can you create in your immediate environment that's better? What alternatives are you pushing forward? Because that's part of the problem, even though that's why there's that cycle of, okay, here is a democratic administration, now let's throw in a Republican one. It's because nobody's happy with what's out there. Because whenever the other guys get to do their thing, they suck. So, okay, let's go to the other round. Okay, oh, these guys suck too. Oh, let's go back to the first one. Oh, this guy, it's like, Coming up with real alternatives is a hell of a lot harder than criticizing the existing crap there is, which is why most political revolutions regularly fail, is because everybody got agree on the tyrant is evil, we need to get rid of the tyrant. Great. And when you have done that, now what do you do? And that's when they you start fracture. fighting among each other. Absolutely, because there is no single vision that people are behind. It's like, this is just damn awesome. Most of those visions are disturbing to different degrees and they fight each other for which one gets to be the next one in charge well it's just amazing how things have ground to such a halt now because uh, i'm red and you're blue and we're against each other and anything you do they've lost complete sight that the idea is to benefit everybody yeah exactly let's make a better world for everybody that's why i don't understand these folks that want to take people's insurance and things like why do you want to make things worse for anybody i thought the idea wasn't to make 19 people trillionaires it's to make everybody have a nice you know, even even in the late seventies, early eighties, you know, Tip O'Neill and 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 Kennedy would would chat with each other, and and it would come to some agreements where you get something, I get something, and that's just gone now. Nobody wants yeah, anybody to get anything. Super polarized to the point where really it doesn't even matter what you argue. You can argue the same thing I do, but if you do it from that side of the aisle, oh, I'm yeah. gonna argue the opposite. It's like Clinton actually played Republicans like a fiddle that way because he became monstrously conservative each day more yep and so those guys were like 
wait, he's saying the same shit we are saying. So we need to differentiate ourselves from him. So let's go even further to the right. Yeah. And Clinton kept playing the game of going further and further and further right. So Republicans went, oh shit, too close. We need to go further and further right until Clinton could point at them and say, you see, I'm a moderate. I'm in the middle. It's those crazy guys who are extremists on... And he totally played them. Now, Tilinto was a dick, but he clearly played his game well when it comes to, uh, in terms of, well, well and not. He worked for him in terms of making them look like crazies who, so th- he would get votes. In the long run, the whole political spectrum has shifted in a more batshit crazy direction. Oh, it was a disaster when you look at it from exactly. history now. I mean, that yeah. crime bill was insanity, and mm-hmm. here we are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, all right. Any, o- any other topic? Any other? How about topic? Michael Jordan? I hear there's a tale. To be <laughs> oh, <sure. yeah>. please <laughs> do tell. It's one of the highlights of my life because uh, I met Michael Jordan ten years ago. Just uh, him and me in the same room for half an hour, and uh, you know, uh, I would. Uh, have to envy millions of people in the world because they are able to do something that I'm not able to do at all. They know something that I don't know at all. Uh, millions and millions of millions of people. But I don't want, uh, I never wanted to become uh, uh, an artist or a surgeon or uh, driving a, a car or, uh, or a plane or something like that. But I will. I always. I wanted to become the basket, the best basketball player in the world. So, mission not accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> but so when I met Michael Jordan, was the first time I meet very nice and important people always. But Michael Jordan for me is something totally different from the other people. It's the first time in my life uh, that I have uh, an inferiority complex in front of someone, and. Uh, the very strange thing is that Michael Jordan as human being seemed to me bigger than Michael Jordan player. Wow. That's unbelievable. I remember that for half an hour, he was staring at me without taking his eyes from me from a single moment. He was so serious. If He was so focused on something that was obviously not important for him, I was thinking, gosh, what uh, this guy did uh, when uh, he had to win games? Uh, because it, it, his concentration was unreal. His focus was unreal on something not important for him. I never saw in a human being such a mental strength uh, like Michael Jordan mental strength. Do you think that was important to the incredible level of his playing? Oh, that, that sort of concentration was going on totally. on the court the whole time. Uh, I think that it made all the difference in the world. Of course, Michael Jordan, he had uh, unbelievably physical and technical skills, but mental strength was definitely what made the difference. It was funny because at the beginning of uh, my meeting with him, I say, okay, I'm here because uh, uh, I have to do an uh, interview with you for Vogue. But uh, uh, no, you have to solve the biggest problem of my life. And he was staring at me like, oh gosh, what this guy <laughs> want from me? 
And I say, Michael, you remember the advertising uh, uh, that began telling I miss oh, 900 shots, 9,000 9, shots in my life. Oh, yeah, definitely. I wrote uh, that. Uh, uh, oh, he did it? That was nice. Yeah. That was really good. In case, for those of you guys who don't know what we're talking about, there was a famous commercial with Michael Jordan that was all about failure, basically, where he talks about all the things he screwed up in his life. You know, I've missed 9,000 shops. I've done, you know, he lists all the stuff where things didn't work. And then he goes, and that's why I'm Michael Jordan, because I failed all those time and it kind of allowed me to develop my skills. And I asked him, hey, you know, Michael, me too, I missed 9,000 shots in my life, but I didn't become Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> that is a tricky, what did he reply? He was laughing. He just laughed. <laughs> Where did that happen? Was that in Milan? Was he there? Or did you come to him? It was in Milan for Nike 10 years ago. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty funny. That's awesome. But good old. Yeah, I mean, there's something about that ability to... Um, some people seem to have more... I wouldn't even call it depth, but there's more... There's something more there. And doesn't. it's not even a moral thing. It doesn't mean you're better. In, but there's definitely... like When you focus, your focus seems to be... 50 times more powerful than the next guy. When that person is uh, says a kind word, or the kind word feels heavier, stronger, more than when the other guy says, it's like, yeah, that doesn't mean shit. That's <laughs> just, you know, there's there's something interesting there. And again, I'm writing something, Daniele, about obsession. Mm -hmm. Because obsession, of course, is a bad word. But uh, if I look uh, at uh, great uh, stories uh, Michael Jordan Kobe Bryant uh, Steve Jobs uh, uh, Tom Brady I don't know who else uh, obsessed people yeah not the they, most well adjusted right? and uh, it's not a good thing uh, because uh, you have to sacrifice something to your obsession but at the same time uh, is what at the end makes the difference yeah. so you have to become uh, because you can be focused, you can love the thing you do, uh, but at the same time, I'm beginning to think if, that if you lack some part of obsession, you miss something. That's a good point, but um, what there about... There is a big but. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a sir mix a lot, would say. <laughs> yes. The... Um, I guess my thing is obsession, great, I get it. But at the same time, in some way, it goes against what you were saying, which is about this idea of like tapping into different fields of knowledge. These are people who are not tapping into different fields of knowledge. These are people who are obsessed with one thing and they put everything they got and more into that one thing at the price of not having a more global approach to... True and not true. Of course, true. Mm -hmm. Because if you want to become the best basketball player in the world, you have to be focused on basketball. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that someone like Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant, they did it uh, taking things from many different uh, parts of life. Mm -hmm. uh, when uh, I talk with Michael Jordan or when I read something that Kobe Bryant said, uh, what's really impressive, they are talking about life. They are not talking about uh, a specific mm. a specific field of life like basketball or something else. They tell you something about your mental attitude, about the way you have to live your life. Uh, everything you do 
not only about sport, but uh, raising kids or writing is the same. The only important thing is the is the attitude. So in that sense, it's about outcome you know whether it's applied to basketball or something else in that sense like he's an obsession with i was about to say self-perfection but not necessarily because they may not you know you think about steve jobs he's not exactly a guy who most people who knew him would say self-perfection what a sweet you know he's working on oneself to perfect some aspects which may not be what you or i would choose as a whole comprehensive thing but basically whatever you okay this is a better way of getting I think I have it now. <laughs> Whatever you focus your attention on, you focus your attention to such a depth with such, that's where the obsessiveness comes in, that you are going to achieve crazy results. Doesn't mean you only dedicate it to, again, even the Michael Jordan, may not just be to basketball, maybe to other things. But the point is, he has to focus the attention. So, for example, when you hear about uh, Steve Jobs being kind of a dick to a lot of people and not being the most pleasant person, Probably because that's not the place where he decided to focus his attention, you know, on being a nicer, more mellow human being. But the ones that he did decide to focus his attention on, he achieved some amazing things. Now, to me, in fact, in that sense is if you have the capability and it's an amazing skill, right? There's something amazing in if you focus your attention, you will get amazing results. Then you better really give it some thought about what you choose to focus your attention on. Because that's such a powerful thing, that's such an intense thing, that why waste it? You know, why waste it becoming just great at one thing and remaining an asshole on another thing? Just simply because you never even thought that that may be important, that you never really stopped to think about, okay, that isn't this world also my time and energy where this is kind of a big part of life. Maybe I should be obsessed about this as well, you know? At the same time, Daniele, uh, I was thinking about myself, I was uh, able always to push myself beyond the limits, uh, but I never was able to push the people around me beyond the limits. Mm -hmm. It's about, okay, I'm doing. While if you are Michael Jordan or Steve Jobs, uh, part, essential part of your work uh, Mm -hmm. is trying to push also your teammates, the people who work for you, beyond their limits. Otherwise... uh, yeah, Nothing but there's a, there's a way to do it. Uh, otherwise, you of end up being uh, me on the basketball court. You know, it's like where everybody hates my guts because mm-hmm. I push people too hard. Not the right way, you know, because just yelling at people, give me more. You probably get results out of them, but it doesn't lead to long-term uh, good things. You know, you want to motivate people in a way where they are dying to give more, not in a way that they are doing more because you are yelling at them, because that's not, that's not the way it works. Well, it sounds like most people don't share those sort of levels of obsession. That seems to be a very tiny percentage of people sure. that are that level. There may be folks that obsess about kind of crazier, yeah. smaller things in their day-to-day life, but the full focus that this is all I care about and I don't give a shit about anything else is a real rarity, isn't it? And I think in that sense, it's like, look, I don't care how you get it done, okay? I want to achieve this result. You don't need to obsess about it if you can. You know, the point is, if you want to be, quote-unquote, on this team, if this is what you truly want, then this is the result we need to get. So think about whether you want it. Because if you want it, then you have to figure out how much energy and time and commitment you will require. And that's a choice. You know, if you want to do it, do it. It doesn't mean maybe that you have to dedicate 100%. 
It, who knows? The point is you dedicate as much as is needed to get it done. If you realize that getting it done is more than you want to do, then you shouldn't be doing it. And, uh, and it's totally, there's no criticism, there's nothing wrong about it, but don't get, you know, can't stand the heat, something about the kitchen, right? There's, <laughs> there's the whole, because um, otherwise you're wasting people's time. You know, you're, if you are half-assing thing or putting like, and it's not even, there's no moral aspect to it. It's like, look, if the, if the result is not achieved and you are giving everything you got, it's not the result fault, it's not your fault, it's just a bad match. It's like, it, this clearly is not working for you. But, um, and I think that's part of the problem that sometimes people like the, um, the idea, you know, I want to be playing for the Lakers, but I don't want to. But you're only four foot nine. Well, there's that. But also, let's say even you are the guy who play for the Lakers, but you're like, I don't fucking want to train three times a day. I don't want to work off season. I want to do the minimum possible to stay on the Lakers. I sport my nice Lakers shirts. I'll uh, pay, get paid. I'll do my That's shit. That's the but... difference. You are happy with the money you get, uh, with uh, the, your popularity, with the girls that you have around. Uh, yeah. And you stop there. Yeah. So you are a good player, maybe a very good player, but you're not Michael Jordan. That's yeah. what makes the difference. Yeah. Of course, I will be more than happy to be some NBA player <laughs> and not necessarily Michael Jordan. Yeah. But uh, that's the way you waste your talent. A lot of good players coming from Italy, though. The Gasol yeah. boys. And... No, there have been, uh, yeah, there have been a few uh, Gallinari is awesome. I knew the... some of them. Uh, yeah, Gallinari and especially a wonderful guy, Gigi Datome who played a couple of years in Detroit and for the Celtics uh, and now is playing in Europe, is one of the, mo the smartest guy um, I ever met. Cool. Is, uh, is it more popular in soccer? No, in uh, basketball. Oh, no, 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 you're saying, yeah, no, uh, ah, soccer, sorry, in Italy, no, soccer, it, yeah, yeah, no, soccer is, you know, heads above any other sport oh, in yes, Italy, for absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Is this basketball second or? Yeah. Yeah, basketball but, is number uh, two. Very, 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 very second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a big gap right there. You know, speaking of things that seem to be contradictory in terms of um, some of the stuff we were saying earlier, and uh, like w the whole thing about tapping into multiple fields, mm. uh, playing not just with one field alone, but mixing things up in some way that seems to require a willingness and a tendency to learn a bunch of new stuff, to start from square one in things in which one is not good and jump in and try things. Uh, that's not exactly your forte in the sense that you are a big fan of uh, keep doing things that I'm good at. And if I have to learn stuff, like I've rarely seen uh, such a hostility to learning new stuff in the sense that it's not even because the point of learning sometimes is that you need to accept I don't know shit show me I'm gonna be stupid because the reality is I need to you need to break it down like where I have to do the Michael Jordan level of attention to a tiny detail to be able to take the first vague step in this and then slowly and you really don't like that you don't have the patience for it you get annoyed unless if somebody show you if you don't get it right the first three seconds you're like screw this i don't want to do it that seemed like the opposite of uh, somebody who's actually able to play in so many multiple fields it should mm, be your attitude not would be, for me 
because in that sense you see what i'm saying like your attitude would be the perfect specialist attitude you know you get good at something you do that forever you never step out of your comfort no but zone. Daniele, it's because uh, in the thing i do writing writing yeah. books yeah. or doing speeches because yeah. doing speeches is what uh, sure. give me the money to, to live uh, i try to put there a million of different things yeah so that's the solution of oh the but the trick is of course the uh the origin of the thing you said is that uh, i always said and i still have uh, some problem with authorities so if someone uh, trying to teach me something my first reaction is uh, no way stay away from me right uh because i always try to uh, learn by myself and because my instinct uh, is what is very important for me uh If something uh, is appealing for me, I'm going. Otherwise, I stay away. It's, uh, with the human being, uh, it's the same thing. So, it's right what you said, that uh, I'm very conservative. Mm -hmm. uh, if I don't like something, okay, it's done. It's not for me. Uh, at the same But time, it's something <laughs> that has to do with my instinct. Because I'm from the beginning, I know that something... Uh, i can do something good in that situation and i can't do something that in the uh, other situation to some degree because of course you know there are seeing there are fields where like look i'm really not talented for this okay maybe Most it's them. not <laughs> my best use of time but there's a bunch of stuff where you may not have a particular talent but that doesn't mean that one has uh, the opposite where it's completely you know it would take for a there are stuff that it's perfectly normal even in things where you have a little talent to start and to suck. You know, it's kind of the regular way. It's just fail, 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 fail some more. But that's it's, evolution. Right. That's the reason why you're much better than me. I'm glad we agree <laughs> on that. That's a good, uh, that's an important step. Okay. Now, do you mean more, like, you're never going to learn to juggle because that's a skill that's going to take too much time or are you more like I'm never going to be an expert in plasma physics so no reason to try is it both probably both. The same both, both both yeah if I'm not immediately attracted from something uh, I don't want to learn you're going to make a fantastic millennial no question <laughs> <about> <laughs> they were all ruined by the matrix they just want to jack in and be able to I know kung, kung, kung fu. fu right exactly yeah. where, where the reality of which is kind of funny when you think about it because the very term kung fu is about a skill that's acquired with time and energy And there's no substitute to that, right? It's time and energy. It's not that because you think good thoughts, you're going to have it. It's not because you have a predisposition. It's time and energy. That's it. And maybe it was about, uh, I'm thinking about this right now. Maybe it was about the high school. Because in high school, I was so good in something and so bad in other things. So from the beginning, I choose to become better and better and better in Italian, in uh, i was uh, unbelievably good uh, translating Greek, ancient Greek and uh, Latin. And, uh, and uh, I didn't have any attitude for maths, uh, for scientifics. So I never opened the book because I was so good uh, in something that I say it's much better if I focus and I become better on the things where I'm good than... Uh, waste my time trying to gain something that maybe I will never be able to get. 
But don't you think just uh, you, you still want a base knowledge of things, right? You should like kind of know, right? Because that's why what that will allow you to put way. things together, right? Uh, but I try with other things because for me uh, it's about uh, TV series, sport, philosophy, uh, books, uh, literature, music. Uh, I try to put together human beings. Most right, of my like, knowledge comes from human beings. I like human beings, not all of them, obviously. <laughs> but generally speaking, for me, uh, human beings are so fascinating. I like the histories of human beings. So that's the part uh, that uh, I always try. Of course, not all the human beings. Most of them, I don't want uh, to know that they exist. But when I found someone uh, fascinating or appealing for me, I tried to know everything, uh, their history, their uh, what they do. It's very important. Makes sense. Makes sense. Let's jump on a completely different direction, just for the hell of it. Um, one of the guys you quote the most in so much, in so many of your books, in so much of your stuff, is Nietzsche. <laughs> um, what about him? We can also keep it, I mean, maybe another time we'll talk more about Nietzsche or something, but just to get a little bit of, um, just a taste. Um, it's, I find it funny because often recommending people to check out Nietzsche is difficult because then you pick up those books and unless you have done a little bit of philosophical reading, sometimes the writing is dense as hell. It's not that, I mean, the quotes are brilliant, right? You take an isolated yeah. sentence here and there and it's fucking amazing. But the whole, reading a whole book, um, Zarathustra is actually easier. Some of the other ones that are written in more philosophical language, they can get real damn heavy, real quick, where somebody's like, what's he trying to say again? What's the, it's not the most immediate thing. This is true. <laughs> you have had that... Uh, <laughs> cannot, cannot parse it. Really? Tried and was like, fuck yes. it. But six, I think that pages. with Nietzsche, like uh, with every other writer or philosopher, you have to pick up what uh, attracts your attention. Uh, we need not to, just right. the highlights because it's too superficial but uh, there is something uh, you find the world you find uh, right. and there uh, you find the solution the right solution for you you don't need uh, to know everything about him uh, or everything about especially because uh, Nietzsche uh, was not a systematic philosophy. Yeah, that's, I think, my problem is that a lot of, particularly with Nietzsche, there's the thing that, you know, some of the, the more academic approach try to turn Nietzsche into a system of philosophy where this was uh, Nietzsche's ideas. And I'm like, honestly, from the way it looks to me, is that Nietzsche was kind of batshit crazy throughout most of his life, but functional and eventually got to be unfunctional. But, but even then, I find these ideas to change all the time. So trying to force his idea into a coherent system in a guy in which coherency was probably not his strongest virtue seem uh, silly. Like I would, in that sense with Nietzsche, I do 
agree with you on that, where I would just focus on highlights, things that speak to you, things that jump out of the page to you. And those are all um, great, the great quotes are awesome, but he does almost contradict himself on occasion. Yeah, he? yeah, yeah. I mean, and the guy is, you know, again, he's a strange human being in a lot of ways. <laughs> so some of the stuff he says, and again, there are parts of the stuff he says oh, I don't even like. in Germany or, in uh, 2,200 uh, years ago. Yeah, that sucks. You don't find That's, a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, heavy. That's why, in fact, my uh, we have the Nietzsche shirt, right? The mm -hmm. Nietzsche with a surfboard and a bottle of yeah. wine and drunken Taoist t-shirts because it's Nietzsche's depth in some cases. His powerful moments are amazing. But then there's all the heaviness that comes from being uh, in Germany in the late 1800s and it sucks and it's heavy and it's not... And he weighs down his writing and his life. So to me, it's like the highlights are amazing, but the rest... But not only the highlights, uh, but his attitude. Because sure. uh, from a philosophical point of view, Nietzsche is the only Western thinker who puts the body into thinking. Yeah. Totally sure. different from the other. Oh, no, totally. If you yes. look uh, at the Scart of Kant or Hegel, yeah. uh, the body doesn't exist. No, those guys fucking suck. Yeah. I mean, it's like reading, it's weird. It's like, cause to me, philosophy is a love-hate kind of thing. It's like most philosophers I ever read, I want to shoot them dead. They are just so a torture, an insult to the trees that were cut to create the pages that they write on. This torturous intellectual masturbatory game. And then there are the guys who are geniuses where and in that case granted is a crazy genius but nietzsche fits the bill there are see one sentence in nietzsche is worth 10 books by these motherfuckers you know it's just we're not even comparing i remember that i wrote uh, 10 years ago something like that a book called uh, the card can't dance that would no, be the translation no, that the, the card doesn't dance exactly yeah that's uh, <laughs> because uh, i think therefore i am Oh, gosh, we have a lot of trouble if you think like that. Nietzsche is just the opposite. I am, so I think. But uh, it's exactly the other point of view. And Nietzsche was the only Western philosopher to put the body walking, uh, running, doing something with your body in the middle of thinking. Thinking was made about the body. And that makes, for me, all the difference in the world. There is more reason in your body than uh, in your uh, wisdom. It's a wonderful quote, but because it's true. And it's funny considering that Nietzsche had not an easy physical life. No, you know, exactly. He had a million physical problems that severely limited him. So some of these ideals are things that would have been a hell of a lot easier for somebody in better physical shape or stuff than him to develop. And somehow he's still the only one who developed in the context of modern Western philosophy. So hats off to him because he did not have exactly, in some way maybe it's a reaction to the fact that his body sucked so bad and it was mm -hmm. so rough. But, you know, what he was able to zero in was amazing. Well, it is a great notion because I know when I'm in that swimming pool, the the thoughts really do start flowing in a different way. Oh, man, totally. It's like last night, I, w I could tell it. It's like I was driving to train jiu-jitsu, and I could tell. I was like, please make me get there. I cannot get there fast enough because in about three minutes, I will murder somebody. <coughs> and uh, I, it's a matter of seconds, you know, whether I get on the mat first or whether I have to commit murder. 
because I just was feeling this and it wasn't even, I wasn't in a particularly bad mood or anything. It's just kind of that boiling of daily life, increase, little tension, these things that didn't go right, things they are tired, things they have been in your head too much, simply nothing eventful. But that pressure and then the moment of rolling suddenly is like, ah, that pressure lifts. Mm -hmm. And it brings back, as you say, in this flow state where things are like, now I can think about stuff, you know. Now my mind is clear. Now it works. Now I'm a nice human being again. I won't murder anybody and all will be good. We are close to an hour and a half. That sounds excellent. A little friend. Oh. There you go. I think, nope, he's still hanging out. I'll clean up. Well, <laughs> let's wrap things up. Cool. Anything else you want to throw out there? <coughs> All good? Cool. Well, Very fine. Anything, Rich? No, thanks for chatting with us for sure. It was fun. Awesome. Man. I'm thinking of the people listening on our files of Italian accent. Uh, and, uh, well, they are, by now they are comfortably <laughs> asleep. Uh, we are, they are dreaming of, they are hearing the Godfather music in the background <laughs> of their dream. And they are, so, so I think it's all good. Cool. Funky music means it's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken Taos podcast. What a great interview, huh? Franco's a great cat. Had a good time chatting with him. Um, it's really a cool thing to meet Daniele's father. I'm sure you can recognize the accents quite clearly. But um, just a fine gentleman and uh, kind of a dude that is his own person. And that's how we all should be if we have the opportunity to do so. So, since we have a long show, let's get through the, uh, the few final sponsors that we like to talk about. Most important to us, the Amazon link. If you go to our website and click through our Amazon portal and then do your shopping, we get a tiny portion of what you spend. It costs nothing extra to you. It's from Amazon to us. So uh, nobody gets hurt, but we get the benefits. And it really does help us out along the way because, you know, bandwidth and fancy headphones and good things like that not all completely cheap and we definitely appreciate any help you guys can give to help us out of course you could always donate click on the old donate switch and just send us a couple of bucks i still challenge you it would be an awesome thing if everybody could drop two dollars once a year um it would go a long way into helping us out and keeping this thing going we've been doing it for a long time this is our fifth year so uh we appreciate you guys hanging in there and listening with us all these years and could sure use a little bit of help to keep it going even further all right who else is on there uh Daniele's Taoist Lecture Series is also available. It's, I believe it's 18 separate 25 to 45-minute little chunks about Taoism. It's a great little, I don't know, it's a, more of a primer for the, the for the religion in general, so you can check that out. Um, Daisy House, the fine folks who have provided us with our iconic theme song from almost the very beginning. Thank you so much to you guys. I actually have a new record out, so I invite you to go to Daisy House slash Bandcamp and uh, get yourself a copy of it. You can either buy like a single or the whole record, I believe is 9 or $10. And once again, help out the folks that help us out. So that's it. We'll see you guys soon. Take care. Bye.
and so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. No, you don't. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, eh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great. Fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. We've been yeah, having a great hour here. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange dun, dun, dun. I completely got lost are we doing the outro or the intro we're outro oh we're outro okay sorry so that's so let's continue did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent it just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell me about can you translate for me please I believe the word was Tombstone yeah that one exactly <laughs> Just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work.